Welcome to Burn It All Down. Lindsay here. I'm going to be leading the way for today's episode, and I'm so excited to be joined by Brenda and Shireen. Hi, friends. Hey, Linz. Look, later in the show, we're going to be mainly talking about women's soccer, going over this equal pay deal, and of course, taking a bigger picture look at everything like we always do. There will be a burn pile, there will be torchbearers, the usual, but the top, we just kind of want to hold space. It's been an excruciating week, Um, even more excruciating than all the other excruciating weeks that we've had lately um, with the shooting in Uvalde, Texas um, at the elementary school, killing 19 children, two teachers, and I just kind of wanted to check in with my co-host and kind of hold space for, I don't know, for everything right now. Um, it's It's been weird. Like, as somebody who's not a parent, there's been so much of, like, oh, as parents, this hits especially hard. And I'm like, I don't know that you have to be a parent for this to, like, feel bad. Like, yeah, I sit here and I want to ask, like, Bren, you had to send your kids to school this week. You both have. And so how are you doing? I feel like, I feel like. There's two things for me personally just about being a parent in this, which is, yes, the school, right? Sending them to school, um, putting them on a bus, feeling guilty, sad, not, you know, this kind of feeling of like, oh, it's so wonderful that I'm not in the same situation as the parents of Uvalde and also feeling like, oh, my gosh, why should I even have to think about that? And then the second part is just explaining it to the kids. Um, and they just look at me. You know, they're they're also Chilean and Mexican, and they know it doesn't happen in other countries. And they just look at me like, why did you decide to have us here? Why are grown-ups such failures? You know, my oldest is savvy enough that she's like, you know, the Democrats are primarying for a pro-NRA candidate in Texas right now. Did you know that, Mom? Did you know that ICE was there? Did you know? You know, yeah. So it ranges from, like, the very basic, like, heartbreaking, my 8-year-old is scared, to my 15-year-old is pissed. And um, that also encompasses every way I feel about it, too. Um, and I'm glad that you don't have to be a parent to care. Thank goodness. Yeah, I think I think part of the reason a lot of these problems happen is because people silo and thinking you only have to be a certain way. You only have to care about racism if you're racialized. You only have to care about women if you identify as one. Like that's that's not how this operates. And like I sit in a country that has very different gun laws, but is also no stranger to attacks and terrorist attacks. Like we're coming up on one year of London, Ontario, of you know, it wasn't a gun that was used, but like that hate and that racialized violence. And I don't want to take away from that. Like the specificity of the way that racialized, marginalized communities are targeted is terrifying. You know, I was difficult. It was difficult to focus on anything else. My children are older. I did write a column about it, and we'll put it in the show notes, which was very different than I started off doing. I had an editorial meeting with my editor, and we had planned out the next couple of weeks. And then when I sat down to write, I was like, I can't fucking pretend to care about the flames and the oilers right now. Like, how can anyone focus on anything else? Like, parent or not. And what makes me so, so moved is the way that people are pleading for safety. There was demonstrations outside of Houston, outside an NRA conference. Like, these things matter. And 
I guess you could say I was heartened to see that, to see that movement and those youth that have been so fucking brave in a way that they don't have to. Yeah. I think, you know, the initial news was excruciating and then I experienced something which it's like every bit of news that came out about actually what went on within that building and how long, how unprotected they were and the horrendousness of the police response just was like worse and worse and worse. It was literally like it was a very real situation, but I mean, I just couldn't help but feel like there was something metaphoric about it, right? About like these people trapped in this room and the people outside having ability to help and like choosing not to, like making whatever decision to choose not to. And it feels sometimes like what we're doing on a you know regular basis just screaming like for the people in power to like fucking do something like use your power stop overthinking things and making all these calculated decisions right and do something open the damn door open the damn door um i'll leave you with a clip from washington mystics point guard natasha cloud who's been very outspoken about this and she's particularly called out the washington nationals and the washington um capitals to be much more outspoken Uh, we have an issue in this country um not only white supremacy um we also have a gun violence issue uh and this is our this is us using our platform right this game doesn't matter the 18 lives um, and, the, and the number is going up um, by the minute. The 18 lives that were lost today uh, from senseless gun violence in Texas at an elementary school. We're talking about our kids not being safe to go to school. And our government is still not implementing sensible gun laws. This isn't about taking people's rights away from bearing arms. This is about putting sensible gun laws in so that this doesn't happen again. We cannot continue to make the same mistakes. We cannot continue to allow these things to happen in our country and nothing is being done with it for money, for profit. So I'm calling on everyone, please put this out, post it, write to your not only local representatives, but your federal representatives and tell them you are tired. Tell them that we are tired of lives being lost in this country for sensible, senseless. It is time to implement gun laws and stop caring about profit and money over people and lives. There's no easy way to make this transition. You know, we, we, we hold multitudes at once and we, we've been following this equal pay fight for the U.S. Women's National Team since the beginning here at Burn It All Down. And uh, this is our first time really having a chance to sit down and discuss it. We got to give the win some space as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, so take a deep breath and pivot with us, if you will, for a second, friends. Um uh, a couple weeks ago, we got the news that the U.S. Women's National Team and the U.S. Men's National Team have signed um, collective bargaining agreements with U.S. Soccer um, and historic notions. Their per game and per training camp bonuses are all equaled out. They have equaled out FIFA prize money and agreed to pull together their bonuses. We're going to break down exactly how that works. But wow, it's been a long time coming. Bren, first of all, what, what kind of stood out to you the most about this agreement? Well, that it happened, period. I mean, just just after... <laughs> After, our, you know, Carlos Cordero, the former, you know, USSF president coming close, even in the room to winning again, which was 
harrowing. I I really thought that that might cause people to, you know, the CBA to have more of a difficult journey or road or maybe indicated more resistance to it. So I guess I'm I'm really very, very just pleased um, for once about the fact that this got through. The prize money in particular, I mean, the U.S., of course, is not um, the only nor the first place to have um, equal pay. This has happened in a number of countries for years, in, including, you know, some powerhouses like Australia and also Brazil already has equal pay. We can go into the specifics of that. It's not as good of a deal as the U.S. got um, which is amazing and, and a model, but it's huge. I mean, the prize money is one of those things that even the countries with the equal pay haven't been able to get. So that was really surprising for me, I guess. And, and we can talk about, uh, the withdrawal of support for NWSL player salaries from the U S soccer federation, which happened back in December. I think when breaking down how we got to this point, that was step one, right? To even be able to start thinking about structuring the CBA in a different way, right? Can you refresh people on why the U.S. women's soccer team, their contract used to be structured so differently from the men's and why that was able to change this time? So in December, um, in in part because of a lot of criticisms from a lot of different corners, Cindy Parlocone and the board um, decided with NWSL to stop putting – the USSF had subsidized some of the national women's team players in NWSL. That had been a very long time coming to try to help – NWSL and to recognize the fact that a women's professional league helps a women's national team, right? It makes perfect sense. They use the training facilities, they stay in shape, they do a lot of things that contribute to the women's national team being as good as it is. However, as the league grew, it obviously is better for everyone that they're separate entities. In most of global football, the federation is not also paying the professional league to handle its PR. Well, that was the case. So it wasn't just for the women. Part of this was also the U.S. Soccer Federation will not pay any longer MLS and their marketing arm to market the Gold Cup. So this is about starting to separate and organize in an independent and coherent way this federation. And so by telling the women, we're not subsidizing these salaries anymore, you know, we're not going to subsidize MLS in different ways. Both of this came together. It allowed for them to also not have the clause of the no strike so that they could negotiate the CBA in a way that it didn't get mucked up with this. It didn't have different tiers of players. And um, it's also a statement, hopefully, that the NWSL is strong enough to thrive on its own. Now, I still have my reservations in the sense that tons has been invested in men's sports, and I like investing more in women's sports, even by the USSF, but I do like to see its independence too. So, you know, that's kind of the main outline, I think. So essentially it used to be, I think it was around 150,000 or something around that ballpark, which was like the yearly salary that the, that the players who were selected as a 23 on the women's roster would get paid. And that was their playing for us and for the national women's soccer league. They would not sign contracts directly with NWSL owners. And now they sign contracts directly with NWSL owners, most of which for the players of that tier 
are now above what they were getting as their U.S. soccer salaries. And now they can go to a uh, to getting higher bonuses, a la the men's team, for the games that they're actually playing, you know, when they are called up to play for the national team. Shireen, what was the other huge part of this? Can you break down this uh, prize money split? Yeah, this is really exciting. So y'all know I don't really do numbers because math and me is not a thing. But this, I... I was fairly easy and I was happy. I'm happy to do it. So I did look around and one of the easiest ones that broke it down was an article in Sports Illustrated, which I've included in the show notes. So you can check it out there. So specifically about prize money. And if you want to read more, there's Olympics breakdown, CONCACAF breakdown, et cetera, et cetera. But the pivotal piece here, and I think where the big bags of money are, are definitely with FIFA. So both unions agreed that to pool FIFA's World Cup payments for this year's Men's World Cup and next year's Women's World Cup. So U.S. soccer will take 10% of the money awarded to each team, then split the rest among the two teams. That's 46 players. So 23 men, 23 women. Uh, For the 26th and 27th tournaments, the USSF will take 20% and split the rest in a similar manner. Now, you're probably like, why will they take more in 2026? Also, don't forget, the United States is co-hosting the Men's World Cup in 2026 with Canada and Mexico. So they're going to be like, oh, we need more money for, I don't know, logistics and hot dogs. I don't I don't know why I said hot dogs. I don't know. Whatever. America. When you think of U.S. soccer, <laughs> you think hot dogs. <laughs> kind of, though. Kind of. I don't know. Not wrong. More f- more flags, more bald eagle mascots. <laughs> I don't know what y'all do. So, um, and for qualifiers for World Cup or another tournament, each player actually gets ten thousand dollars in game mm-hmm. plus base pay, plus fourteen thousand for a win and four thousand for a draw. So FIFA had earmarked four hundred million. Listen to these numbers: twenty eighteen for the men's tournament, including thirty eight million to champion France. 30 million for the 2019 tournament and 4 million to champion the United States. That's the difference in the numbers. So FIFA has increased the total for 440 million for the 2022 men's world cup. And Gianni Infandino, who we've talked about on the show, proposed FIFA to double the women's prize to 60 million for the 2023 Women's World Cup, which will be held in Australia and New Zealand. And FIFA is increasing the teams to 32. So at the same time, you're probably like, Wait, what does FIFA get out of this? Because we're never going to do anything for the goodwill of women and increasing the women's game. What's happening? It's also increased revenue. And at this point, it's literally criminal for them not to pay women what they're remunerated and what they're due. So that's a bit of the breakdown of the numbers. Woo! Shireen, our stats. I'm just an actuary, <laughs> aren't I? Put that in your title. Um, I love it. A couple other things I just want to mention. First of all, there's been a lot of Wow. So the U.S. men are basically giving the women's team charity. Whatever you can imagine Brenda's eye roll was, it was even stronger um, when I just said that. But uh, <laughs> but that, that has been the talk. And I think it's super important to note that the men decided this was in their best interest as well because U.S. soccer was pitting the two teams against each other. The men had been stuck with their old CBA since 2018. Why? U.S. soccer was not going to give the men more money, these higher bonuses, these higher payouts, because the women were suing them for equal pay. So they're not going to then bump up the men's even more and make things even more unequal. 
that was really a wake up call for the men of, oh, fuck, we need labor solidarity because this is hurting us. We've got to the point where they're not giving us more money. They're not giving us more things because they don't want to give it to the women. (laughs) So maybe we can come together. And the truth is like, there are years where this would have benefited the men more than the women. Um, you know, the last cycle when the men did not make the World Cup and the women won it all, for example, right? Like, even though the women got so much less because of FIFA, that's still money that would have gone into the men's pocket, right? You get zero dollars if you don't even make the damn tournament. And so <laughs> ultimately, I think it's just very important that the men did not do this because they are these benevolent... Um, allies and supporters of women's sports i'm not saying it's not good what they did but i'm saying they realize that labor solidarity is going to be a benefit for them as well and a few things the federation they're able to fight for the federation to set up 401k plans for all players on both teams that's something the men did not have before the men also now are getting child care during all training camps and match windows which is like another thing that's really cool and of course game day bonuses and you know roster bonuses increased for everyone across the board we want to also kind of look at the big picture, and this is why I'm so glad that we have Shireen and Brenda here. I just want to make clear, once again, the men are not these heroes. And also, this is not equal pay across the board in the U.S. The NWSL still pays way, way, way less than MLS for equivalent star players. And the NWSL has a much higher status in the global game than the MLS does. So while this is... Equal pay for the national teams only. This is not the end of the fight for pay equity in women's soccer, even here in the United States. Shireen, uh, can you tell me what's happening in Canada? I think one of the things about the United States is that it sets a precedence, the U.S. women's national team, specifically. I want to say that specifically, not the United States men's team has inspired everybody. Like, that's not what I'm trying to say here. Uh, Brianna Scurry actually was interviewed by CBC Sports and said very specifically that this should be something that Canada should aspire to. I've been on CBC with Diana Matheson, former captain of the Canadian women's national team, and we've talked about it regularly repeatedly and she has she's been on the show talking about it how important it is to get a you know a domestic league but also to have equal pay you know Canada I'm not sure what they have to do you can't even buy a fucking jersey here with the women's names on it it's pitiful so Canada soccer is not stepping up to it and I think that this is a point in which and I love that Diana did this recently and again we'll put it in the show notes she did an interview um with The Current which is one of uh Canada's most popular in radio programs, news programs, is talking about why this is so important and why we can't lose momentum here. And as we celebrate the United States women, we need to say, this is awesome. Let's do it here because we've won gold. We've medaled, you know, at the Olympics several times. We're ranked top 10 FIFA, definitely. Like, what else needs to happen here? And, you know, the fact that Brianna Scurry said something made me go, mm-hmm, because she's played alongside and with Canadian athletes as well her whole career. And she knows, because Canadian women don't actually have anywhere to play in Canada. So she knows this. And I found that that was extremely poignant. And not just Canada. 
like in other football worlds, and I'll just step in the global context here because that's what I do, including Afghanistan, Somalia, Yemen, even Libya, civil instability and safety concerns are a priority, right? So when we're talking about equal pay, it is fair to say that some of those places aren't ready for that conversation yet because they're still trying to like not die when they play football or get like a stable women's league or tournaments. Forget about a league, let's start with tournaments, which a lot of these places do to test the infrastructure and test the support of the federation and association. Pakistan was under suspension and riddled with corruption. Um, Nigeria had to commit to a sit-in in order to get paid in the first place. Again, we talked about it on the show. Other federations are reeling from abuse and trauma of players. And it's a fucking mess because men are the fucking worst. But new leagues are getting their footing. So I do want to highlight that. One in Saudi Arabia, for example, they're a long way from equal pay. But Honestly, seeing this agreement ratified does give them hope. And we interviewed a player about the new Saudi Arabian League, and they mentioned feeling inspired by the U.S. women's national team. And that vision matters a lot. And I do not want to take away from that. Also, FIFA has appointed six women officials from for Qatar, three refs and three assistant refs at first. I'm not mad at this. Brenda might be, obviously, but I'm just saying. A uh, total of 36 referees, 69 assistant referees, 24 video va- video match officials for the tournament and six out of that are women so the bar is so low but you know me I'm half glass full Shireen half glass full Ahmed so here I am bringing you some snippets of positivity Brandy mentioned there already were agreements elsewhere so where does this kind of fit into the ripple effect pushing for equality and kind of what's next So let me say, because I'm going to be real negative about CONCACAF and lots of stuff, but this is this is fantastic. Um, The U.S. is benefiting from other countries doing this in some way. Like, I I feel like it is a movement of solidarity, um, of feminist solidarity across women's football, you know, so. Denmark, Norway, Australia, Brazil, you know, and now the U.S. is contributing to that wave. We have never seen the male allyship that we did in Denmark and Norway, which is incredibly disappointing. You know, the Danish men willingly giving up their salary to get equal pay and pushing their federation. But this is a great beginning. It's it's like you said, whether they mean it from their heart or it's just strategic, labor solidarity is fantastic to see. And so, of course, you know, as World Cup championships, they're super important. I will say, look out though, NWSL, because the Europeans have exponentially grown that league. And they are just clobbering the NWSL in terms of attendance. And I don't love to see that. So I do have part of me kind of be like, humph, you know what I mean? Like you're you're seeing Katarina Macario leave and not play for NWSL. I don't love that as like a sign. So I think you're right. Like build on the momentum. Don't stop. Recognize this and keep, you know, I'd love to see the, the U.S. Federation and the U.S. women keep their status in many ways as the vanguard um, of this process because there is nothing I hate more than the Premier League and everyone knows it. So... <laughs> I want to I want to see that really. So I think I'm I'm really happy. I I also just have to say between the federation and FIFA, we have to remember whether it's Afghanistan or these other parts of the world, there are confederations that can do things. And CONCACAF, speaking of Canada, is just completely absent 
And there's jokes, you know, that goes around like you've been concacaft as a way to say like, you know, you've been stymied by a ridiculous and useless labyrinthine structure of governance. Um, that's a verb, you know, that we use in soccer. And it's funny, except when it isn't. And in the case of women, it really isn't. Those Canadian women it is such bullshit that they don't get this. This is all bullshit. And it's such bullshit that the Mexican women don't get it. How is CONCACAF not looking at this? So I really hope that these federations are just going to push and they shouldn't have to. The confederations that slide in between. I mean, the state of soccer in Central America is abysmal for women. Abysmal. Um, and we'll talk later about this corruption and the bad side. But here we have a great opportunity. So anyway... I'm I'm psyched about it, and I'm also like you. Let's keep going. Yeah, I want more. My hope is right that like we don't want this gap in prize money to stay this massive. Right. The point yeah. is that let's equal this out, and it gives. I don't know what's going to make FIFA do what, but if men, if their paycheck is on the line based on how small the women's prize money is, right. We're going to have more men pushing FIFA to up those women's uh, purses. (laughs) And that's going to help, right? Like that pressure can help. Like I think it was 2019 for that World Cup when FIFA was like making this huge deal. Like we doubled the women's prize money and it was like from 15 to 30 one year and then 30 million to 60 million the other year. And at the same time, they increased the men's by over 40 million, which is more. So like the gap between the two got wider because <laughs> like, it was like the men's went from 400 to 440, where the, the women's went from 30 to 60. So the overall gap got even bigger while they were trying to take a victory lap for doubling the women's, right? And what the labor solidarity does to me is more men pushing for the women to get more money because it impacts their paycheck is good. Yeah. All right, let's let's kind of get quickly into what else is going on around the world. Um, of course, we're into the NWSL season. Expansion teams are doing well. It's a lot of fun, a lot of chaos. And um, um, I think one of the exciting news is, is definitely the Angel City, which is, of course, the new team in L.A., partnered with Tigres Semenil for the first NWSL partnership with Liga Mexicano. So I think we love that, love seeing more competition between the club teams. We're seeing more investment in women's club teams around the world, which is, I mean, yeah, we want the NWSL to step up their game. Once again, they're not going to do it just because it's the nice thing to do. They're going to do it because they're losing talented players and falling behind in the global market. Competition. Hell yeah. Bren, there's something else going on in um, women's soccer in the U.S. Oh, the USLW with Amanda Vandervoort, who used to work for FIFPro, is now heading this up. And it's, you know, in my fantasy, it's USL becoming a relegation situation in the U.S. That's that's my fantasy to fight the Ponzi schemes. So it is, just to clarify people, it is another women's soccer league that's just technically a level below NWSL. Yes. As the USL. It's the same structure. Gotcha. And it's very healthy because you're looking at going from grassroots, you know, kind of girls soccer. What's between that and the NWSL? 
And here in the U.S., we tend to think colleges and universities, but that doesn't really work with global soccer. It, it hasn't really worked because you can't set up a relegation system to go to like, oh, okay, you're relegated to UNC, right? Like that <laughs> it doesn't work. So this is a really good – USL has, has really grown in the men's leagues and um, really filled and occupied a certain space, and there's great supporters groups, and it's – it's a great way to build soccer culture, I think, in a progressive and inclusive way. And so I'm really excited about women having this middle tier. I think it's actually really an important step, though it hasn't been getting a ton of fanfare. Shereen? Yeah, again, with some fun news, fun news, jazz hands are up, viewers of the United Women's Champions League went up 56%. Now, I got this via the extremely emphatic and enthusiastic PR people at DAZN, um, which is, in this case, <laughs> really important. Uh, total live viewership for May 21, the final we saw between Lyon and Barcelona, and cumulative viewership of 3.6 million globally across DAZN's United Women's Champs League YouTube channel and the free-to-air channels in Europe. And this is a 56% increase, percent increase in audience compared to last season. And that's that's really important. And for the entire season, 64-plus million views across those same channels. And notably, Canada was the fifth highest market driving the UWCL viewership on DAZN this season. And that is important because a lot of people automatically figure that Canada doesn't have that much of an interest or vested interest in this kind of thing. But the point is, if you show it, we will watch. Yes. Brian, you want to take us to, we're going to end on a down note here, to some not fun news. Yeah, I don't want to do that, but I do think it... (laughs) I do think it reinforces how important the independence of the Federation right now from the professional leagues can be and kind of reinforces our other points about what progress looks like is just if you've been following on The Guardian has had some good um, coverage and particularly there is a reporter, Roman Molina, uh, who's been reporting on different cases of egregious behavior of sexual harassment and assault throughout women's soccer and men's soccer. And once again, we've seen the ethics committee, and I put that in giant air quotes, come up um, useless in this case. The same as Argentina. It took them a year to respond to Argentine women's complaint that they had been sexually harassed by a coach. There was at least five players that we know of, at least 30 witnesses. The ethics committee came back and said, there's not enough here to go on. Three men made that decision. Men that... I'm not going to say would be implicated in similar things, but let's say their own federations have closets to clean. And when you take a look at what's happened in Haiti and Colombia, it's very important to stay vigilant because we've seen how, you know, the NWSL might grow and be wonderful. And then like, we're like, oh shit, this has been a totally toxic work culture for six years. We don't want these things happening again and repeated again. And so governance is important. And I just want to throw out that those cases are here. They're ongoing. Please, you know, if you see people tweeting at FIFA, if you see, they operate because nobody wants to pay attention to the details, but the devil is right there in those details. And it is fucking boring, but get on FIFA ethics site and get to know your soccer. Why isn't this being, you know, investigated? Because of that stuff, you know, and this is where the harassment takes place. 
yeah, I just wanted to jump in here and say even this morning, as we were talking about this after we'd prepped, uh, Romain Molina, the reporter of whom we've talked about on the show as well, who does a lot of this reporting, messaged me to tell me he had a new story out about Didier Olé-Nicole, who is a coach of Paris Saint-Germain Feminine. One of the teams was accused of sexual harassment of an underage player. And now he has temporarily been suspended. But the ways in which PSG contorts themselves to avoid any kind of accountability or pretending like it didn't happen. And all those things are part of the system of violence, whether you ignore it, brush it under the rug or transfer him somewhere else or anything like that. Ignore the calls and demands of players and of survivors to check into it. Like it's horrible. And again, we think Romain is the friend of the show and the point of doing this isn't to say that it's the glass is half empty. It's to say this, this is what we need to do to get it full. Every deep playoff run starts with building an amazing team. Doing the same for your business doesn't take a room full of scouts. You just need Indeed. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Hate waiting? Indeed's US data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Something I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because with virtual interviews, Indeed saves you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent all in one place. Indeed knows that when you're growing your business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in our database matching your job description. Visit Indeed.com slash BlueWire to start hiring today. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This week in our interview, Brenda talks with Beth Breda of Breda Autosport about her racing team that features women drivers and engineers. I think a lot of people have that experience that are in, you know, historically male businesses, male dominated things. And we all have that story of like, oh, you know, at first you kind of think like, wow, look at me, I've made it. And then you realize there should be more of us. Um, and then you make, that, you make that pivot and you realize, oh God, let me like pull, pull people up the ladder. We're going to go into our burn pile. Bren, I think uh, it's a good segue from our main discussion today, I think. <laughs> Get us going. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, this is both hilarious, though. I mean, it's everything we've been talking about. So in the midst of all of these ethics committee filings and reporting and investigations. And I'm just going to say it once again. I know I'm a broken record, but I didn't break myself. (laughs) Um, The most corrupt federations are the most sexist. They are the ones that embezzle the development money. They are the ones that are able to treat women as they do with impunity. And two of the most corrupt organizations, UEFA, who has handed you the World Cup in Qatar in 2022 and put Kissinger on the organizing committee of 2026, has partnered with Comebol, responsible for most of the 2016 FIFA arrests, to have a conference 
in Venezuela, of all places, called Football y Mujeres, Women in Football. Don't really look for it to be well-publicized because it certainly wasn't. Don't look for major women athletes to be there because they certainly were invited. But there were a lot of men invited. Men that needed to learn and lead in women's football, didn't they? No, of course I'm being sarcastic. This is stupid and bullshit. There's just bunches of pictures of dudes sitting around and talking about women's football without any of the grassroots activists or players or anybody of importance. And yet this is just UEFA and Comebol wasting development money that could go to women, particularly when we know that Venezuela has struggled with, um, you know, civil struggles and violence for the last 10 years that women have been totally marginalized, but you don't have who was once, you know, FIFA's player of the year, Dana Caballo, come as the Venezuelan star? No, because she knows better, because she knows that this is just window dressing on an incredibly corrupt and misogynist institution. So if you want to laugh, go and look at the Venezuelan Federation and the pictures of men sitting around the tables, really wringing their hands over how to I think embezzle more money from women's football because that's what this conference was about. I want to burn it. Burn. Burn. I'm going to go to another standard on our burn pile, which is um, everything surrounding the Larry Nassar case. So this week, the Justice Department announced it was closing its review of two former FBI agents who botched the investigation into Larry Nassar. Um, who, of course, was the U.S. gymnastics and Michigan State doctor who uh, sexually assaulted dozens of patients, mostly girls and women, including, of course, some of our most prominent gymnasts. U.S. gymnast first reported Nasser's abuse to the FBI in 2015. He was not arrested until 2016, and he went on to abuse more uh, women and girls at his job at Michigan State. So uh, it's just absolutely a mind-boggling decision. The Justice Department says in their quote, while the Justice Department's Office of Inspector General has outlined seriously con- serious concerns about the former agent's conduct during the Nasser investigation and also described how evidence shows that during interviews in the years after the events in question, both former agents appeared to have provided inaccurate or incomplete information to investigators. The principle of federal prosecution requires more to bring a federal criminal case. This does not in any way reflect a view that the investigation of Nasser was handled as it should have been, nor in any way reflects approval or disregard of the conduct of the former agents. So they're basically saying, like, yes, everything about this was botched and fucked up. But it's not enough to actually go forward with federal charges, which is what are the point of federal charges then? <laughs> like if you have all the evidence that literally their inaction led to others being abused. Simone Biles tweeted um, and people wonder why women and men don't come forward because justice is never served. This is literally insane to me. We keep suffering at what price? Burn. 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 Shreem? For my burn this week, I actually wanted to talk about the anti-Muslim abuse and death threats faced by Colorado Avalanche's Nazem Qadri. And for those that don't know him, Nazem Qadri is of Lebanese descent and he identifies as Muslim. Now, 
in the series of the Colorado Avalanche playing the St. Louis Blues in Game 3, Kadri actually accidentally collided with Jordan Binnington, the goalkeeper of the St. Louis Blues. As a result, Binnington was unable to continue in the series. Uh, Kadri was not found guilty for anything, nor there was any penalty. However, St. Louis Blues fans found it upon themselves to issue death threats and horribly racist and violent commentary at Nazem Kadri that his wife later shared through her Instagram account. Um, and it was said that in a press conference, uh, St. Louis Blue player threw a water bottle at him. And then in game four, um, David Perron allegedly attacked him and then ended up being fined $5,000 by the league. But with regards to the death threats, it was a long time before the St. Louis Blues front office actually said anything at all. One of the things that I want to burn. Secondly, the NCCM, the National Council for Canadian Muslims, and the Canadian Arab Institute both band together and advocated for Qadri because no one else seems to do it. It's like the NHL is absolutely silent on this type of violent outburst and something that affects their players so deeply. So they have called for a ban on the fans that actually you know, led this torrent of abuse on Nazem Kadri and said that they should all be banned for life from NHL games, something that I personally agree with. The other thing that I want to burn here is in game four of that particular series, which Colorado went on to win, Nazem Kadri got a hat trick. So very much some of the commentary from hockey writers was, oh, look at Nazem Kadri and how he deals with racism. Fuck that. That's not how Nazem Kadri was dealing with racism. He was doing his job. He was playing hockey. The ways in which racialized people deal with abuse is not to go out and go above and beyond necessarily. They process very personally and deeply. He was doing his job. Just because we happen to be very good at our jobs doesn't mean that this type of abuse doesn't affect us. I've been on the receiving end of anti-Muslim, gendered Islamophobic, and very violent threats. They're awful, and they actually take a very large toll on you mentally and emotionally. So I want to absolutely scrap and burn that idea that, oh, you went out and, you know, you fought racism with getting a hat trick. Absolutely not. I just want to take a second to offer solidarity with Nazim Qadri and his family because this is absolutely upsetting and, you know, very discouraging at the same time. But what I do want to do is burn all that type of xenophobic, Islamophobic, and horribly racist abuse to the ground. Burn. Burn. I want to lead off our torchbearers this week um, with the dedication. Brenda? We are very sorry to hear about the untimely death of Mariana Chavez of Museo de Futebol who passed away last week very suddenly, all too soon. She was responsible for researching the history of women's football in the National Brazilian Museum in Sao Paulo and bringing together, as well as advocating for veteran women players. She will be missed. We've got some honorable mentions for our torchbearers this week. Uh, Shireen? Yay, golf! (laughs) Stanford women's golf team won the NCAA D1 Golf Championship this week over the Oregon Ducks. This is the second national title in women's golf for the Cardinals. 
Woo, the cardinal. Stanford are the singular cardinal. Okay, well, I thought, am I congratulating, like, the Catholic Church right now? Like, what's happening? (laughs) Okay, the cardinal. The one cardinal. It's a thing. I learned that today. Okay. It'll come in handy. Um, Bren? Jessica Campbell, an assistant coach for Team Germany, became the first woman to be an assistant coach at the IIHF Men's World Hockey Championship. We want to... Give kudos to Candace Parker, the third player in WNBA history to record multiple career triple doubles uh, in a game against the Washington Mystics. She had 16 points, 13 rebounds, and 10 assists. She's also the oldest player to notch a triple double at 36 years old. And she was named as one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People. So she had quite a week. Shereen? Chelsea Dungy, former Dallas Wings player, was hired at Troy University as an assistant basketball coach at the age of 25. And Brenda, I love this one. This is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> this is just incredible. Lisa Blair has broken the world sailing speed record for the fastest circumnavigation of Antarctica by 10 days. Like, I don't even know. <laughs> like, you went to Antarctica and tried to do it quick? Like, what? That's just wild. And 10 days feels like a lot. Like, what? You know, Lisa is a great candidate for Torch Bear, but I picked this week. And so can I get a drum roll, please? My Tar Heels! The Carolina women's lacrosse team won the national championship. They defeated Boston College 12-11 to in front of a capacity crowd of 8,500 at John Hopkins University this weekend. They went to 22-0 on the season, being the first undefeated champion since 2017. And it's the third women's lacrosse championship in school history. It was a thrilling game. And uh, I love when my Tar Heels win. All right. What's good? Uh, I'm going to start. Golf is good, which I know is weird. Wow. Um, But the Women's U.S. Open is in Pinehurst, North Carolina this week. And I got credentialed through Power Place to go. And never been. I grew up watching golf majors. I've never been to a women's tournament before. I've never been to any majors before, and this one has the largest. It's got $10 million of a pot up for, for grabs, which is almost twice as much as the previous most money up for grabs at a women's golf tournament. So I'm super excited to, you know, uh, there's a lot of weird stuff about golf, but, you know, it's it's part of the movement, whether it likes it or not, and I'm excited to kind of go and go and watch and experience it. Uh, so I'll be I'll have more about that later. Bren, it's been a hard week as we opened um, the show with, and so yes. I I did have to write this down um, and really remember to myself. You know what is it? Um, okay, so I love texting burn it all down during big soccer matches and there was the champions league final and i i texted both of you at some points and it's just so fun it's so fun it's fun when shereen and i are there um it's fun when um lindsay thinks that my language is very 80s because i used poser about someone and then i used bogue on purpose 
to because that was also really fun and I hadn't been able to use that word for a while. So it's just so fun. I just love that. And you know, we ha- we have professionalized this podcast, which is great. But back in the day, I feel like we texted even more. Like if you can imagine, you know, like throughout the week. And I love when it happens sometimes. And um, it's always different permutations of people, and I just like it. So that was one thing. Also, books of Jacob um, by the Nobel prize winning, and I'm not trying to be like prizist or anything, but Olga Turkotix, I can never say it quite right. It's this novel that I've been talking about, but it's also like 1,200 pages, so I'm going to keep on it for a while, about 18th century um, Ukrainian and Polish mystic Judaism. It is a fascinating, she's a wonderful novelist, and I love her so much, and I'm loving it. She's Polish. Um, the Round of Sixteen of Copa Libertadores, and also um, My Garden looks really, it, I mean, like I've said, I think there should be a medal in gardening. I think it should be an Olympic sport, like all my yard chores, and um, I, I, I'm i doing well this year. I love it. I did want to mention softball and tennis have been so much fun mm, to watch this nice. week. There's been so much softball and so much tennis, and I've been loving them. Shereen? I'm going to watch a Blue Jays game with the CBC Sports Unit, and I'm really excited. It's a field trip. So it's legitimately going to be like all my work people are going to go out. I'm really excited. I have been working there since January and had this amazing experience with my editor, Pat Greer, and he doesn't like shout outs. He's behind the scenes. We've never met in person. On Tuesday last week, I filed a piece at two o'clock in the morning that was really emotional because it was about Texas and how I was feeling. And I didn't even get a chance to text him. It wasn't what we talked about in the editorial meeting. And I gave it to him and it came out beautifully. It made people cry. I've got really good feedback on it because like we're at this weird intersection, particularly in Canada, like how do we thread this needle? How is it done? And I am so excited to meet him. I might cry. He would get overwhelmed and probably feel awkward and then pat me like on the shoulder, which I expect to happen. Also, one thing that was been really amazing and I'm super excited about, I went with my third child, Salahuddin. He had his volleyball nationals in Edmonton and he came out. They fought so hard. The record this season is 14 and two, but they ended up with a bronze medal, which was amazing. I have absolutely zero chill on a regular day. I have less chill as a volleyball mom. And it was so much fun. And he's been with this team for a really long time. And then we had a picnic at the end of the week, just to sort of, you know, there was tears. I spend a lot of time with this fam, with these families, like we really do. And, and never mind the COVID hiatus of two years. When your children play competitive sports, you do spend a lot of time with the families on the sidelines and stuff like that. And these people have helped him grow into a formidable young man that he is. And I'm forever grateful to his coaches. Wayne, Jim, and Paul, and I'm really proud of the boys that he's played with, and they're all going off playing at different places, playing volleyball in university. Some are taking a gap year playing in colleges, um, and I'm so proud of them. So I love sports, love youth sports. Yay. Yay for the bronze, and yeah, that, that's it. That was a lot of fun. Heart is very full. It was a very tough week, but Heart managed to stay very full. All right, this week we've got the NHL playoffs. The French Open continues. The softball College World Series starts. The Women's U.S. Open, as I mentioned. Uh, And then, of course, NBA. We've got the finals are set. 
Um, we've got the Golden State Warriors versus the Celtics, and uh, we'll be excited for that. So lots of good sports to keep us a little distracted. Of course, the NWSL season and the WNBA seasons are going strong as well. That's it for this episode of Burn It All Down. It was produced by Tressa Versteg. Shelby Weldon is our web and social media guru. Burn It All Down is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Follow Burn It All Down on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can listen, subscribe, and rate. Would love if you would rate us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and tune in and probably other places as well. For show links and transcripts, our website is burnitalldownpod.com. We also have merch, and you can get that link at burnitalldownpod as well. We exist because of our patrons. If you want to support us on Patreon, go to patreon.com slash burnitalldown. Burn on and not out, especially after this week. Love you all.